don't spend dollars to create pennies in the marketplace. Uh, equity is your plan B. It is a great plan B. If you were to lose your job and you've got wealth in your assets, you can sell one and survive a year or two while you rethink your world. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a lesson. Yes, we're going to play the equity game. Should we do the show? Well, we never know till the end, but I tell you what, I think we're going to crack some codes today. It is lesson day. We are going to learn about equity, what it means, how to tap it. And of course, if you're new to property investment, one of the mythical creatures which is inside the property investment arena, the idea of leverage, what it means, how to use it, how to create it, what equity can create for you from a wealth perspective, and how do people go on this journey of stepping through to the 1% club, which of course is 1% of people who are financially independent from real estate and who have crossed the chasm of wealth creation, all of whom have used equity or played the equity game. Yes, folks, today we are playing the Australian version of real estate monopoly. And of course, if you've ever played the board game monopoly, you probably understand becoming wealthy is about acquiring assets. Winning the game of monopoly is about acquiring assets. To acquire assets You need cash flow and equity sometimes is better understood as a giant lump sum of cash, which can create cash flow in your life. So I'm pumped to deliver today's show. It is going to be a lesson. Of course, most of my shows are a lesson in one way, shape or form. So feel free to float around, go and dance about, have uh, a little love affair with some other episodes if you like. Now, I'll tell you what... When I created the show, I wanted it to be a program where I didn't have guests. Uh, I wanted to discover if we could do 100 plus episodes of property investment with basically content every single week coming to you. So if you're liking the content, I do have a big favor, feel free to Stop right now and put a little review in the uh, review section of your iPhone or smartphone. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, what it does, it helps me meet other people and it shares this information, which I do complimentary to help people understand what is going on when it comes to real estate. Uh, The show itself is doing really, really well. People love it. I get a lot of, uh, you know, feedback. I've even got a recent complaint about the show from Trevor. My old mate Trev in the Sunshine Coast has rightfully so pointed out the show and YouTube uh, have different numberings. So on uh, Spotify and, and Podbean or whatever it is, uh, well, I don't know what episode we're up to, and then on YouTube, it's a different number. So we're going to fix that. So Trevor, 
This one is for you, buddy. Thank you for shouting out and uh, pointing out that I am dysfunctional. I appreciate it. Of course, Trev uh, also shouted out that he thought my episode around having the balls to retire was a good one because he even in his industry are just seeing people work way longer than they should with no real uh, ambition to understand what retirement looks like. And I think today we're playing the equity game, but really, let's face it, we're all playing the retirement game, whether we're cognizant of that or not. And equity is just a way to reach retirement perhaps reach it earlier than you have thought. And of course, equity, of course, can hinder or create speed for retirement. And uh, today I want to explore what that means so we can dig into it. Of course, other rules with the show, play the show at double speed so you can go and listen to another episode. Refer a friend if you can uh, bring some more people into the urban property investor investment arena. And uh, you know what? Let's kick off the show. I think we're ready to talk real estate and extract what is going on out there. Now, the reality is 2020 and 2021 has been an incredible period for wealth creation. We have seen the wealth effect unfold and that has really led to asset values increasing. And today, what that is going to mean is people have perhaps equity in their real estate for the first time ever. And depending on how long you've held real estate, you probably see some sprints with equity. It comes into your portfolio. It can leave your portfolio. Equity is actually air. And the fact that it is just a paper profit is sometimes something we need to really be cognizant of when we're analyzing wealth and how we use equity. Now, the real estate market is jumping all about. In fact, there are some reports really this uh, last quarter that we've seen property values rise as much as $50,000 in the last three months. In fact, uh, I've seen some some crazy activity in the marketplace with basically uh, people paying up to $300,000 over buying property sight unseen just to secure some assets in the marketplace. It's really interesting because we are in a high equity creation marketplace. Now, I want you to visualize something for me. I want you to visualize an analog property clock. At the bottom of the clock, we've got number six. Number six is really the bottom of the market. At eight o'clock, we've got really a rising or recovering market. At 10 o'clock, we've got a hot market. At 12 o'clock, we've got a peaking market. Then two Uh, clock, we've got a sliding market, four o'clock, we've got a trough, and then we're back at the bottom again. All right. So we all visualize that. You could write that down. You could draw that on your iPad, or if you're using the pen, you could uh, draw that on a little sheet of paper for this lesson. 
Now, the reality is when your real estate is kind of caught from anywhere from a market slide, really all the way down to a rising marketplace, you find that tapping equity is rather difficult. However, when the market is quite hot, which it is today, equity is flying around left, right and centre. Growth is hitting the real estate economy. And what that means for people is all of a sudden, for many people, for the first time in their real estate journey, they are able to go and use more equity to create more wealth. The wealth effect which we forecast two years ago would happen has actually happened. So uh, what the wealth effect is, if you're not 100% across it, is just the simple idea that in times that are challenging, if governments can stimulate the economy, they can create basically a boom of sorts. And really, uh, one would argue that off the back of the pandemic hitting the economy, we have seen the wealth effect unfold, not only in Australia, not only in Australia. Now, this is a little known fact that I have never spoken about. I am in the 1% club of property investors in Moldova. Yes, Moldova. If you've never heard of Moldova, that does not surprise me. Moldova is a land of Gopniks and a land of wine. It's basically wine and Gopniks. And yes, for some reason, uh, fortuitous by virtue of marriage, I am now in the 1% club in Moldova. I, uh, by virtue of marriage, own uh, three properties in Moldova and sit in a very small percentage of property owners that own real estate in this strange country. Where is Moldova? Uh, it is stuck between Eastern Europe and Western Europe. It is kind of this poor little country, the poorest country in Europe. If you go to Moldova, uh, it is it is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit sort of almost nasty, if you like. Now, a lot of people in Moldova, they all speak Romanian because it once was part of Romania, but then Stalin kind of stole it and recreated it and turned it into um, a little bit more ethnically Russian. So it's kind of like a mixture of Romanians and Russians in this in this strange little country. Uh, it's kind of like if you've seen the movie Borat is is really uh, the Moldovan world. And yes, I am I am actually married to a Moldovan, and by virtue of that, I am making money in Moldova. Yes, asset values are not only increasing in Australia and New Zealand, they are actually skyrocketing in value all over the world. And we are up around 25% in real estate terms in Moldova. Now, the average property price in Moldova, by the way, is, is uh, you know, roughly a can of Coke 
compared to Australia. But we do have hopes if uh, Moldova was to join the EU, uh, we may even see a 5x return in growth in real estate in Moldova. But the wealth effect is happening all over the world. And the reality here in Australia, we have seen housing turnover reach its highest level in 12 years. Uh, CoreLogic estimates around 600,000 dwellings across Australia uh, sold in the last 12 months. That's a huge amount of real estate, the highest amount uh, of real estate turnover for a very, very, very long time. It's around a 42% lift on annual numbers. So that is an incredible amount of people wanting real estate. And of course, the big challenges today with stock is there really isn't any stock. You've got to understand that uh, the government inspired 140,000 people to take up a building grant. So that absorbed a lot of stock. And we've seen a lot of those greenfield house and land communities absolutely skyrocket in value because of the back of the uh, amount of demand flooding into taking that building boost up and getting involved in real estate. And of course, uh, builders themselves are, chall- are challenged at the moment with stock production, with things like lockdowns. Every time there's a lockdown, builders can simply not go from one job to the next. And so, of course, what this is doing is slowing down the production of stock across Australia. In fact, if you were to look at forecasts for apartment construction, it is ridiculously low, like terrifyingly low. There is just no production of stock at a mass level coming into the economy. So we have seen the current market create almost like this huge amount of demand off the back of the world world effect across the globe. Same problem in Moldova, by the way. Absolute same problem. Um, not enough stock, too many people wanting to buy real estate. And the interesting thing is, um, you know, with shortage of stock and obviously this position where the market's at is it's creating growth and growth turns into equity for people. Now, I will say we are going into a phase which I would call boom recovery. Boom recovery. And I, I, I have mentioned this before. You know, the property market can, can't continue to do 25%, 20%, 10%, 12% over and over and over. It eventually starts to modify. Other than going into a slump, which we are not really headed towards, we are now going into a more recovery phase of growth, boom, recovery. So in other words, we're actually going to see a slowdown of growth, but we're actually going to get consistent, more steady base capital growth moving ahead. This is fantastic because it means for people who perhaps need to look at the real estate market, there is uh, future growth coming their way. It may not be the short, sharp wealth effect growth. It's going to be a more normalized 6-7% capital growth moving forward, which is great. There is really no slowdown on its way. So what that 
tells us is there's really some more equity around the corner, albeit at a slower pace than what the last 12 months has created. Now, um, the boom that we have been through, which is now going into recovery, is definitely not going to end up in a place where we see a slump. And the reason, the pure reason being is no stock, folks. There is no stock. Now, I'm a professional deal maker. I go out every day, in all day, every day. Like, people are professional in all sorts of things. Engineers, police officers, teachers, you do what you do every day. What I do every day is I go out, I explore the real estate market, I look for stock, I look for something interesting which is going to make people money, and it is fast running out fast running out. So I can tell you with low rates, no stock, and an appetite for people to serve as debt, the reality is we're not going into any type of slump into the future. The only thing that will cool the market really is, I would say, an intervention of type by the uh, regulator or the command-led economy itself. So the cool thing is, we now live in an economy where it's probably worth looking at tapping equity and buying more assets. I know for a lot of people tapping equity and then the market cooling off is scary. So tapping equity and going again is a bit of a financial calculation. It is a bit of mastery involved and finance and equity and a good broker is really one of the best ways to make money out of real estate. Now, remember, the only reason we would tap equity is for more assets. Uh, Once upon a time, it was quite common in Australia to tap equity and go and buy a jet ski. That really is the worst thing you can possibly do. The reality is most banks and lenders today are quite, uh, I guess, prudent around equity off the back of lending, reframing through Royal Commission. People can't blow equity like they once could. And that is a good thing. So if you're going to tap equity, you generally need the ability to show a lender that you're actually going to do something with that. Take equity out of your home, put it into the share market. Take equity out of your home, buy real estate with it. That's generally the two things banks love. And the best way to understand equity and how to calculate it is uh, a bit of a, a mathematical formula. And I'll just explain it. And look, if you've heard this many times, if you know all about equity, you've got to run with the back of the pack sometimes, right? So we're going to sort of teach anyone listening for the first time you know, how equity generally works. Let's say you've got a property, its market value is around $600,000. However, the debt on the asset is around $350,000. So your asset is worth $600,000, your debt is worth $350,000. You're in a really good financial position because you have a low debt uh, to value ratio, right? And so all of a sudden, you have in the middle, which is the difference between the six hundred and the three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, something 
their wealth. Now, to calculate extracting that wealth, it is a bit of a formula. You need to allow for 80% because most banks are willing to fund real estate equity up to 80%. Sometimes you can get a little bit more through 90% lending and paying in mortgage insurance. But for today's lesson, I think we just keep it simple. We're going to work off 80%. So all of a sudden, uh, the lender will look at your $600,000 asset and apply an 80% calculation, meaning they will be looking at $480,000. $480,000 is 80% of $600,000. Your debt, though, is $350,000. So all of a sudden, they've measured a buffer, an 80% LVR, on your $600,000 property. That equals $480,000. Now we're minusing the debt, which is $350,000. And that, my friends, equals equity. In this example that I'm verbally explaining, you now have $130,000 left. $480 minus $350 equals $130,000. $130,000 in equity. Now that can be moved into a performance asset. Let's assume that equity costs you 3% for easy math to borrow and you put it into the ASX 200 or the stock exchange. You may get around 7 or 8% overall return on your investment. So you're borrowing at 3, you're hedging, you'll make 8 in the stock market, away you go. Of course, real estate works the same way. You take equity, 130, that may buy you around 500 odd thousand dollars worth of real estate. So all of a sudden, you can uh, potentially, if you service, go out and buy another property. And of course, this is how it works. This is how people go from one property to the next property to the next property. And as long as servicing works and your job is fluid and you're making money and your mathematical formula of the assets you buy are not crippling, you should be able to add to your portfolio a couple of properties. Maybe get to the 1% club here in Australia. I tell you what, you could certainly get to the 1% club in Moldova uh, probably using all of your equity, you could do the 1% club in an, in an afternoon in Moldova. But uh, obviously, we want to understand the effect of moving money to create more money. <clears throat> now, obviously, the principle of using equity is also the principle of using leverage. So with real estate, it just means you're getting more market exposure so your $130,000 in that example may get you $500,000 worth of market exposure, which then gets 10% capital growth for easy maths. That $500,000 is now uh, grown by $50,000 because of the 10% growth. So all of a sudden, that's the purpose of this game. And of course, you've got to take into consideration your rents, You've got to take in consideration your income. Where a lot of people go wrong with this, by the way, is 
they have equity, but they decide for whatever reason that they don't want to work or they've got, uh, you know, wishy-washy work and banks will not give you money if you're wishy-washy. It just won't happen, right? So the best thing you can do to become wealthy is go to work. The best thing you can do is to get a pay rise. The best way to get more money, by the way, is to is to have a have a really skilled job and earn as much as you bloody well can. Um, that is probably the biggest tip of wealth creation. There is no shortcuts, and what I'm talking about here today requires people to have a steady form of income. Now, one of the traps, and I call it the honeypot trap, is using the same banks when it comes to buying real estate. And there's a mistake. We often refer to it as probably the number one deadly sin when it comes to real estate. It's known as cross-securitization, sometimes also known as the all monies clause. The reality is, what is likely to happen is a bank will give you equity, uh, but for a lot of people, that means they are going to use the same bank to buy the next property and the next property and the next property. The challenge with that is eventually you reach a servicing challenge with the same bank, but also the fact all of your assets are tied together through what is known as the all monies clause means if one property was to underperform and potentially go down in value, but you've got equity in another property, you generally can't tap that equity in the flourishing property because you're kind of affected by the non-performing asset. And of course, your bank will put an 80% LVR across all of your equity. So what a lot of brokers do is they're really skilled at moving money around and setting you up with multiple banks. So you're not subject to the equity honeypot effect and you actually get to build a portfolio using different lenders at different times. And of course, that means taking equity out of a property but using a new lender to acquire a new asset. So I guess when it comes to the idea of finding equity, for a lot of people building a portfolio, what I've seen in the past, and I've certainly got the lashes on the back for this myself, is a lot of people don't create primary equity. Primary equity is the idea that your deal that you're buying first needs to be really, really good so that you can create a nest egg of equity to go again. And this is quite often why we see a lot of equity, for example, in the middle tier property marketplace. People who have bought a property as a family home, for example, for $1.2, $1.4 million, generally there's a lot of equity in those properties. And the reason being is people trade up to get to that uh, marketplace. Because people use a trade-in to buy those assets, they tend to get a lot more activity when it comes to primary growth. And as opposed to entry-level properties where people are using savings, trade-up marketplaces, 
tend to be full of equity because there's just more money pouring into those marketplaces. So generally, a lot of people are successful tapping equity from a primary investment being their family home, which they bought in a nice sort of blue ribbon pocket of a city, which is full of equity. They get primary equity. But then their buying power drops and they generally have to enter into more of a grind equity marketplace. But that's okay. Getting assets out into the marketplace, which create cash flow eventually, is really what the game of property investment is about. We want to end up on passive income. Now, for a lot of people who are rent investors, they never get the opportunity to fundamentally buy a trade-up, so to speak, because they're trying to get into the market. And trade-up real estate is just more expensive, right? So for those people, really, the first decision they need to make is generally a pretty important one. They need capital growth. What they do not need is cash flow. Cash flow. Now, there is sort of three mechanisms when we measure real estate. There's neutrally geared real estate, positively geared or positive cash flow real estate, and negative cash flow real estate or negatively geared. Now, obviously, uh, you know, in some contexts, some of the more negatively geared assets tend to be in highly prized locations. They just cost more, so the yield's lower. Uh, And generally, the more negatively geared properties are in these trade-up locations, which is a bit of a problem for property investors creating primary growth because the other element of what we need is more or less the idea of getting some cash flow coming in to support the asset. So we're not forking out money out of our back pocket. On the other spectrum of that is positive cash flow real estate, where you're getting high yield, but the odds of getting capital growth are fairly low. The reason you're getting a high yield on positive cash flow real estate is the real estate is cheap to begin with. It's been cheap for the last 30 years, and it's going to be cheap for the next 30 years. The reason being is it usually is in a lower socioeconomic zone in an area which is not influenced by livability uh, or, you know, the idea of pie, population infrastructure economics. So I think the sweet spot for a primary investment is this sort of neutrally geared market at the moment. And that's where people who can spend uh, and get themselves a property in what I refer to as an affordable yet livable pocket of a major metropolitan area. They're setting themselves up for equity. Now, that may take a couple of years to, to nourish and perform, but the primary investment is a critical one because equity creates more equity. Real estate gives birth to other properties. And if you rely on real estate, which is going to be unpredictable for growth, you're probably going to spend years just spinning your wheels. And I've certainly been there. I spent, I think, seven years of my economic life buying cash flow properties to replace my income and had to change tact because I was soon realizing that uh, I couldn't support 
buying more assets or paying off debt quickly because of this missing component to it all, equity. So those cash flow properties, I was buying them for like $100,000. You just needed to come up with, you know, 15, 20 grand and you were away. You know, you didn't need a lot of money. But the wealth effect was not hitting those property investments. They weren't going from, you know, uh, 700,000 to 1.8 million. So we got to understand this thing called equity. We want to be able to service it. We want to be able to use it. It gives birth to other properties. And if we really wanted to, and in those examples of positive cash flow real estate, it's really easy now that you've got equity when you get to a point of equity to go back and buy cash flow, to go back and create equity arbitrage, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So we want predictive growth. Can we go out and predict capital growth? Impossible. Not one person on this planet can do it. If they could, I can tell you they would be a genius. They would win the Nobel Peace Prize. But you can be predictive about growth. What do I mean by that? Well, with primary investments, capital growth investments, you can be absolutely predictive. Predictive is buying in a city close to the beach. Predictive is buying in a cool suburb with lots of cafes. That's predictive. Uh, Buying real estate and, you know, being next to an urban forest. Predictive. Buying a very walkable suburb. Predictive. Predictive things create growth. Can people predict growth? No, but we can make pretty smart decisions in my view that growth is likely to happen and I use a combination of economics and behavioral economics to be predictive around growth. And I think, you know, the reality is um, when we look at the marketplace now going back to recovery from its initial boom stage, it really still allows us to be quite predictive around growth and follow what I'm saying, which is we need to go and find the affordable and livable supply in the marketplace. What that'll do, by the way, is protect our equity. It'll put us in a position where we're going to get more fuel coming into that asset and more equity hitting it over the years of owning it. And again, I think... um, there has been situations in certainly my buying career where I've watched a property grow based on how equity hits it and how the market works. Now, I've got a bit of a formula which I teach, which is known as the 4X growth plan. You guys have heard this a thousand times on this show. But the best way to understand equity creation and understanding buying real estate in the affordable and livable supply gap, there is really a couple of ways equity works. The first way is you can manufacture equity. You can actually create it. One of the best ways to create equity is just negotiate, right? Get yourself a discount, um, get yourself a good price, and you're highly likely to create equity. Other ways is to build for profit. You can create equity through building or renovating or design. You can create equity through time, 
delaying the settlement, doing something which is going to give you more time to manufacture maturity of equity in the market. It's all through the deal, manufacturing equity. But manufacturing equity is, in my view, sometimes fool's gold because a lot of people will buy a discount deal trying to manufacture equity or, uh, you know, get a good price in a terrible location. Of course, that equity may work for a little bit, but has no tailwind. So we want a tailwind effect of equity. The second way to think about equity is more niche, location growth. Locations are certainly hot topics in the real estate market at the moment. You know, real estate growth is broad, but the rate of growth is going to be around the location your real estate is at. Will it grow at 2% or 6% location growth? Then you've got the market growth, which obviously we're feeling a lot of that at the moment. And then we've got behavioral growth, which is the idea that all of a sudden, if we are connected to a predictor, something like a beach or an urban forest or a beautiful parkland or a green suburb, the probability of that marketplace getting growth into the future absolutely makes a lot of sense. So again, this Forex growth plan, which I've been teaching for a long time, makes people money. Like, And sometimes people come into the growth plan doing a deal. Some people come into the growth plan because the market's hot, which it is now. But the point is, you've got to have a tailwind of this thing moving around. You cannot just buy it and then you're sitting in a frosty place where really there's no behavioral logic around owning that asset. The location's poor, doesn't really make a lot of sense to people. Uh, And you're really just reliant then on market factors. The reality is, let me ask you this, can you control the market? You cannot control the market. You don't know what's going to happen next week when it comes to the real estate marketplace. No one can control the market. Really, the only things we can control is our predictive range around growth, predictors, location. You know, people will often ask me about real estate and the first, one of the first rules I'll teach them is you can do what you want to real estate. You can renovate it, transform it. You just, one thing you can't do is change its proximity, change its location. So, you know, the, the reality is we need to think about what we're doing when it comes to creating equity. Equity creation is a big, big, big driver of wealth creation. And again, I see a lot of people today really falling into another honey trap, the negative equity honey trap, and I've been here too. I've, I have the lashes on the back. Like if you looked at my back, I would be like, you know, a convict that came to Australia in 1788. Like I've been whipped that many times from making so many mistakes myself in the real estate marketplace. I'm just one of those people that, you know, I can pick myself up and go again. But my 30 years of being involved in real estate, I got into real estate when I was 18 years of age. I've now 46. I've been doing this a long time. I've got to see so many doorways and angles and um, yeah, 
I've got the lashes. I'm a little convict that's been whipped. And so one of the lashes that I've had is the idea that in a market which is strong and you're getting the wealth effect, degrade properties go up in value. And, you know, I just saw a degrade sale literally last week. Um, our retail, retail team, so I, I work in both wholesale and retail. Wholesale and retail. Uh, wholesale, I help investors. Retail, I help home buyers buy family homes. Um, I have uh, really two business lines, if you like, positive real estate, which many of you know me from, but I'm also involved in Australia's oldest real estate company, Richardson & Wrench, R&W. R&W is a, you know, basically a family run and own business, which helps home buyers buy homes. And what investors that I help do, I put the handbrake on doing crazy shit. So I get investors all the time, like going, I've got to have this asset. I'm willing to pay a hundred grand over. And I'm like, handbrake. But certainly when it comes to retail, like the best interest of uh, of that space is, you know, working for the vendor. And the vendor is about getting people to pay more for property. And I was looking at one of the sales agents there who recently helped an investor transform out of an investment, selling to a home buyer. And like the home buyer, honestly, in my view, paid around $130,000 more than they should have to buy the asset, which is just, you know, it's just throwing money down the drain. And again, I, I know real estate is an opinion sport, but absolutely in that example, I think paying for the location that asset was in and at that price was, you know, it was a, a little bit, little bit beyond its means. It was a little bit of FOMO. So, uh, I want to talk to you about avoiding the degrade equity trap. And again, what happens? Degrade real estate will go up at times. It does. And for many property investors, if they choose to buy that degrade real estate and they get that growth, they're now in a position where they feel like they've won. But actually, because of the tailwind effect of not having a Forex growth plan, what happens is they tap the equity, in other words, they pull money out of the asset, but then the asset that they pull money out of goes down in value to the point where they now can't sell the real estate, they're trapped in the real estate and they've got this equity effect where they're now negative equity. And being negative equity is not a fun place to be particularly if you scratch your head and go, you know what, this actually is a pretty degrade property. I uh, can't see myself getting out of this. And what happens is even though you've potentially acquired another asset, you're basically stuck with this degrade thing that potentially you're going to have to hold on for 20, 30 years, which may not even grow. It may have served a purpose of getting you another asset, but now you're basically got uh, a degrade asset, which is doing very, very little for your portfolio. 
So again, I've been here, done that, got the wheel got the lashes on the back. I've tapped equity out of a property that's then gone backwards. Then I've looked at it and gone, you know what, how am I going to restructure to get out of this deal? The better mode, of course, is tailwind effect real estate, which grows using my Forex growth plan. So of course, what that actually means is you will get different chunks of growth. And, you know, I'll, I'll explain a deal where I've I'm up a million dollars, right? So I buy the property for circa $800,000. At the time, I got a discount. I bought it off a liquidator. Uh, I actually bought it off Grant Thornton, an accountancy firm who had the asset mortgagee in possession. When I bought it, the suggested value of the asset was more like a million dollars. So I got a discount. Even though I couldn't recycle equity on that million dollar discount, Oh, sorry, on that uh, million dollar price range, because I was driving the price down, I was setting a new benchmark of prices going down, not prices going up. When you drive a price down, it's very difficult to then go back and go, well, uh, you know, give me equity. So anyway, I bought well. I did the first part of the Forex growth plan. Second part of the growth plan, though, I didn't just buy well in a dump of a place, I bought really, really well in an urban forest precinct, basically an eco-reserve right next to a beach in Sydney. Okay, so location, you think that sounds like a good location? I think it does on the northern beaches of Sydney. Basically how Sydney works, uh, people, people will pay a lot of money to live in the eastern suburbs, northern beaches, or, you know, around that sort of inner west CBD. They, they're kind of like the, you know, uh, location growth hotspots. There's others, there's plenty of others, but just for purpose of today, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? So even though I bought the property for 800, I got a discount, I know I was buying well. The first growth I got from that asset was location growth. All of a sudden that location started to work. And so my first section of growth, zero growth in the market, by the way, zero growth in the marketplace was I got about 30% growth uh, from the location. The location started to be very, very popular. Then uh, over and above that, I started to get behavioral growth. People started to think a little bit green, think about, well, I do want to be near an urban forest. Oh, an eco thing would be pretty cool. Uh, living amongst the trees, what a beautiful thing. So then I got more growth, another 15% growth. Then I got market growth. And the market obviously today is, um, you know, hot, hot on a hot to trot. And of course, that market has taken this property up and up in value. Then I looked at the asset and go, well, how can I improve the value? And I've done a few renovations. I've knocked out, you know, uh, glass windows and I've created bifold doors. I've put a big decking on the backyard. I've you know, put some cool funky wallpaper up. I've created a little bit more storage. I've done basic stuff, but it's created value on what I own, Forex Growth Plant. And, you know, today that property which I purchased, you know, uh, 10 or so years ago, you know, it, it's gone from 800 to 1.8 million. And it's that tailwind growth. And the equity I've taken out of that has not gone negative equity. It's continued to grow in value. And that is the the main thing here. We will certainly enter periods of 
growth which are stagnant. And unless you've got equity moving forward, you do not want to end up in a position where you're negative equity because, again, it it sucks. And I've been there and I've got assets that have done that. And I'm just expressing to you what I've learned over the years. It's pretty important that we start to factor in some of this uh, concept. Now, I teach a principle known as the flatline effect. The reality is your real estate is going to flatline at some point. All real estate does. And really, real estate is reliable, particularly if it's connected to the Forex growth plan. What isn't reliable is people. People, when the flatline effect unfolds, they start to question, well, where are they? No more equity. You know, am I stuck? Should I sell? And again, you've just got to relay that back to the Forex growth plan. I had a client the other week, well, the other year, um, you know, off the back of COVID, got scared, sold a property in a Bayside area of Brisbane. Um, you know, they bought it for 540. They sold it for 560. They made no money. Today, we just got a vow on that same asset for closer to $700,000. Again, you've got to just make sure and you can read into what is going on using the Forex growth plan. If you uh, are stagnant and there are stagnant properties in Brisbane at the moment, which is a hot market, they are being advertised as investors' livid dream, vivid dream. Um, they, they don't have the capacity to be part of the Forex growth plan. So we want good local factors. I think it's probably the most important part of the plan, to be honest with you, because market growth is very unpredictable. But if we've got a, uh, we can be quite predictive around how we allocate our assets and where we allocate our assets. I think, you know, real estate, which is in neighborhoods, which are effortless, they make a lot of sense. People love living there. The humanistic experience is, is what people live there for. Uh, they're sticky, they're interesting, they've got a soul, they've got a character, they've got a charm. All of these things make a lot of sense to me as to why they work. I love evolutionary areas from an equity protection point of view. I like places which, you know, are pretty close to train lines, good transport. They evolve as society evolves, as we grow in size What's the value of a train station of a neighbourhood or a, or a ferry terminal or a good walking um, precinct that, you know, people don't even need transport? Evolutionary. We've got to think about this stuff. And, of course, you know, I think close-knit communities absolutely make a great spot to protect your equity and get continued equity growth off the back of the Forex growth plan. The reality is, uh, you know, asset allocation is a really, really important component of using equity. And, you know, again, for a lot of people, if you are going out and buying your first property, really, and you don't have a trade-up to get into that sort of mid-tier or higher-tier asset market, you know, you've just got to make a really critical decision where is the best equity going to be? And I would probably suggest using location parameters and behavioral parameters to find that growth. The market at the moment is doing a lot of the work, a lot of the heavy lifting, 
but it will certainly disappear and then you just don't want to be stuck in a place where, you know, it's it's going to stagnate for a very, very long time. Remember, if the market is doing 0% capital growth and your real estate is popular, that is really the ultimate test of owning real estate. You know, the reality is, I think, Right now, people are questioning the idea of time in the market versus timing. Like, you know, right now, does it feel like bad timing coming into the market? I've spoken to a lot of people. A lot of people are like, well, you know, it's gone up and will it come down? And I just don't think that bubble's going to burst anytime soon. The reality is with a trillion dollars worth of more money flourishing around the real estate market, you know, it's it's probably set a new benchmark as to where we're going to be. It will definitely at some point, you know, uh, deviate and dance about as markets do. But again, are we paying the timing strategy? We are trying to make a quick buck out of this market or are we actually going, you know what? I want uh, a good deal today, which is going to get continuous long-term tailwind growth when the market's doing 0%. I'm still owning an asset which is ultimately very, very popular. I think the reality is, um, you know, when you do create equity out of assets, you will go into a little bit of a concept known as capital gains lock where you basically, if you tap the equity and you think about, well, if you're going to sell, you're up for capital gains, at the end of the day, on reflection on what that actually looks like in the mirror. It's good properties, good location, uh, proximity, uh, all these type of things are are, are fairly important and uh, really important. So I think the reality is, you know, don't spend dollars to create pennies in the marketplace. Uh, Equity is your plan B. It is a great plan B. If you were to lose your job and you've got wealth in your assets, you can sell one and survive a year or two while you rethink your world. Um, You know, the reality is when interest rates change, if they do, which is a long way away, by the way, um, you know, you want to be owning assets in the right marketplace. And of course, for many people, what has happened in recent years is off the back of, you know, lending constraints. A lot of people can't buy six, seven, eight properties. Just is not possible anymore. So, of course, equity can create equity arbitrage. Equity arbitrage is a great way to make money. The fact that you've got equity in a property and you can pull that out and potentially put it into the share market and make money, or you can pull it out and potentially do armchair developing, which is what I do, you can absolutely work your equity harder. And I'm a property guy, so you know it's no wonder I talk about sort of the property trifecta. The property trifecta to me is a buy and hold strategy, which is full of equity, Uh, a dividend strategy from shares or even positive cash flow properties, which you buy after you build equity. The third part of it is basically speculation assets. And for me, 
uh, I team up with a lot of my clients and we go and buy real estate together because many hands make light work. What does that ultimately mean? Well, uh, for some people who are sophisticated investors, they are capable of, for example, using $300,000 worth of equity, which they borrow at 3% over, say, two years. Um, you know, that's $18,000 to use or borrow that equity. They then invest in a development which produces 20% over that same period, which is $60,000, right? So they end up with a $42,000 profit, gross profit, off the back of equity arbitrage. So again, um, the more sophisticated you end up as a property investor, some of the more cool things you can do with equity which allows you not to even own real estate, but control real estate. And today that's a very popular mechanic that a lot of people need the income. They don't need more real estate. Sometimes I meet clients and I'm like, you don't need any more real estate. Please do not buy any more real estate. You are highly leveraged. You've got enough assets to retirement. What do you want more for? And the reality is I think, you know, understanding your target and setting sail as to where you want to go is critical to this thing called wealth creation. But equity is our mate and we need to look after it properly. Look after equity like it's your best friend because it is the seed for all investment. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. If you like the show today, tell you what, do me a favor, give me a plug Uh, Give me a five-star review if you don't mind. And uh, the reviews obviously help me just reach out to other people and uh, maybe they will like the show as well. Maybe they'll leave me a complaint like Trevor, which was a good complaint. Um, So thank you for tuning in today. All the best with the rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.